This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. You suck. Get off the stage. This is episode 57, the fourth part of the 100-miler history. In this episode, I will tell the story of the 1906 Tarahumara Mountain Trail 100-miler and share the history of the amazing ultra runners in Chicago before World War I who raced 100 miles. Chicago, Chicago, that toddling town. Yes, Chicago. One of these ultra runners then served as a running messenger during the war from the front to headquarters in France. <gasps> Yikes. I get nervous just crossing the road behind my house. <laughs> Now to the story. A hundred miles, a hundred miles, a hundred miles, a hundred miles. You can hear the whistle blow. A hundred miles. For some reason, today's ultra runners think that ultra running and 100 milers were invented during their lifetime. This is part four of a rich 100-miler history prior to World War I, an era when more than 400 ultra runners finished 100 miles in less than 24 hours in races or in solo attempts. During the late 1800s, for only about seven years, 100-milers and pedestrian six-day races were held indoors, when they were a unique spectator and gambling sport until about 1882. 100-mile races and even solo attempts disappeared nearly entirely for the next 15 years. From 1898 to 1903, multi-day running races made a brief comeback, mostly in Pennsylvania, and many new ultra-runners achieved 100 miles in less than 24 hours during various fixed-time races and wagers. As local laws in America were more widely passed, outlawing multi-day running races, Indoor 100-milers ceased, and the 100-miler faced the threat of extinction again. In the former heart of the 19th century ultra-running New York City, it was written, These protracted tests of physical endurance serve no good purpose. They prove nothing beyond the fact that some men can force themselves to harmful exertion, even when every fiber of their physical being is in active revolt. But a flicker of life still remained in America. Starting in 1905, the 100-miler re-emerged in the outdoors on dirt roads in Illinois thanks to some legendary marathon runners from Chicago who sought to reach the 100-mile distance. However, there was a place in the world where ultra-distance running never took a vacation. Running 100 miles or more was ingrained into the culture of the Tarahumara, a civilization of about 30,000 people who seemingly were untouched by the modern world. They lived in Mexico in the northern portion of the Mexican Sierra Madres. This is an entire tribe of people that can run distances well beyond 100 miles. They routinely run 200, 250 miles at a time. And not just some people, but all of them, men and women, old and young alike. In the early 1900s, American railroad contractors who were building a mining railroad to the Tarahumara village of Bokoina 
were spellbound with the running exploits of the people who lived in the canyons. The workers amused themselves by wagering large sums of money on long-distance running races. A historic 1906 race was held from Bukona to Minaka and back, about 110 miles on exceedingly rough trails over the mountains. William Deming Hornaday, an American journalist and the publicity director for the National Railways in Mexico, was there to watch the race and reported that the Americans collected a purse of $100 for the winner. Great interest was manifested in the race, for the sum offered was quite a fortune to the members of the tribe. A council of war was immediately held by the chiefs, and two of the fastest runners were selected to do battle for the prize. The pair were also subjected to a close inspection by the Americans, who wagered large sums on the result. On the day of this historic mountain trail ultramarathon, the two Tarahumara set off running through the rugged mountains. The runners set out from Bacona, first on a slow swinging gait. As they went along, they warmed to their work and the pace was quickened. The winner covered the 100 plus mile course in 16 hours looking fresh at the finish. Consider that this 1906 mountain trail 100 mile race predated Western States 100 by more than 70 years. Albert Cory was born in France in 1878. He served in the French Army, where he became interested in athletics, especially in cross-country running. He competed in many races in his native France and gained a celebrated reputation. He also ran ultra-distances. During an 82-hour race, he reached an astonishing 382 miles. He was also credited as holding the record for 40 miles. Corey immigrated to America in 1902, went to work in the stockyards, and read that athletes were training at Marshall Field for the 1904 Olympic Games to be held in St. Louis, Missouri. He showed up one day in his running clothes, and after a quick running audition, was invited to become a member of the Chicago Athletic Association. Even though Corey was not an American citizen, he competed in the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis, Missouri, representing the United States. He ran the Olympic Marathon, which was on a tough, dusty, hot course, 24.85 miles long, and placed second with 3 hours and 34 minutes. Thomas Hicks won. Hicks was initially unable to receive his gold medal given that he fell unconscious at the finish line and it took doctors about an hour to revive him. Close to death, fortunately, he eventually recovered, though retired from competing in marathons. With a time of 3 hours 28 minutes and 53 seconds, Hicks's feat is the slowest time for a men's Olympic marathon in history. The United States claimed the silver and bronze medals in the marathon as well when Albert Corrie crossed the finish line six minutes after Hicks, soon followed by Arthur Newton with a time of 3 hours 47 minutes and 33 seconds. Although both runners struggled with the heat and dust and slowed down to a walk during certain parts of the race, neither seemed to have it worse than Hicks. After the Olympics, Corrie set his sights on lowering the 100-mile world record, which was erroneously thought to be established by himself, of 16 hours 22 minutes while serving in the French army. The world's best 100-mile time was actually 13 hours 26 minutes, held by Charles Rowell of England, but perhaps Corey held the amateur record. As he trained, Corey had no set diet and lived on only two meals a day. 
I like to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. He said, I eat whatever I like and it agrees with me. I like meat, especially when it is cooked rare, and I like eggs. I eat four or five eggs every day. I never take soup and seldom eat vegetables. I live mostly on meat and wine. I get up every morning at four o'clock and run over to the Chicago stockyards where I work. It was reported. A hard day's workout, which means a run of from 8 to 15 miles, never phases him in the least, and he seldom loses more than a half pound in weight. He is said to be one of the best proportioned and most ideally built athletes that ever ran on Marshall Field. Corey decided to go after a record running from Milwaukee, Wisconsin to Chicago, Illinois, a distance of about 100 miles depending on the route. Milwaukee is where we were before we came here. Working in a brewery, making the finest beer. Henry Schmale, a six-day pedestrian, accomplished the 100 miles in 19 hours, 54 minutes in 1898 and was recognized as the record holder. Corey made his attempt on December 8, 1905, crewed by an automobile. The dirt roads turned out to be in terrible condition, and he quickly knew that it would be very hard to break the record. At places the roads were ankle deep in mud, and Corey's shoes were coated with the sticky substance, making it really an effort for him to lift his feet. The automobile ran out of gas, and he attempted to go ahead alone. As a result, he lost his way and wandered about on the wrong route for three hours. At Waukegan, Illinois, about mile 50, he was greeted by a large crowd who came out to watch him run through the town. He stopped for 20 minutes, was given a rub down, and ate a light meal. His speed became slower and slower, and he eventually realized that it would be impossible to break the record. He backed off his pace and concentrated on just finishing the long grind. At Fort Sheridan, the soldiers came out to give him a warm reception. He finished in front of the Chicago Athletic Club with a large crowd waiting for his arrival. His 100-mile time was a disappointing 23 hours, 15 minutes. He was wrapped in a blanket and hurried to a waiting carriage and was driven to his home. Corey said, It was simply impossible to make any fast time over the roads. At some places it was impossible to run and it was hard work to walk. I had a terrible time in the swamps north of Kenosha and wandered around for several hours trying to find my way. The heavy going tired me greatly and several times I was forced to stop to rest. I think I shall make another attempt at breaking the record as I am confident I can do the distance in 16 hours or less. A hundred miles, a hundred miles, a hundred miles, a hundred miles. You can hear the whistle blow. A hundred miles. In September 1906, a 100-mile race between Corey and Alexander Tibu was arranged from Milwaukee to Chicago. Alexander Thibault was a French-Canadian, another talented ultra-runner from Chicago, who competed against Corey at the marathon distance. The race was organized by the Illinois Athletic Club of Chicago and sanctioned by the Amateur Athletic Association, or AAU, the first 100-mile race ever sanctioned by the organization. It started at the Milwaukee Athletic Club headquarters at 9 p.m. in a drizzling rain on September 2, 1906. 
The president of the Central AAU shot the starting gun in the air and they were off, followed by an automobile. The race was a bust. Five miles out, the automobile's tire exploded and the car had to be abandoned. The two runners did their best to plod along through ankle-deep mud, but dropped out after only about 28 miles. The athletes floundered in the mud on the main roads and were glad, doubtless, that their accident put an end to the long grind. Corey again made arrangements to go for the record in 1907. He would be paced for the first 10 miles by another ultra-runner, Sidney Hatch. The plan was to run 55 minutes during each hour and rest for 5 minutes. On October 24, 1907, Corey started at Milwaukee at 9 p.m. in front of the Milwaukee Athletic Club. Corey and Hatch were guided by four automobiles with headlights and a bright moon with perfect weather. Soon after starting, Corey was affected by stomach troubles which greatly slowed him during the night. He stopped frequently and was rubbed down by his trainer, Charles Wilson. He ran sometimes five miles at a stretch without slowing to a walk, and other times would go two or three miles between rests. At one point, both runners and automobiles lost their way, but soon got back on course. Hatch bowed out at about mile 35, and Corey continued. It was cold during the night. Corey's crew suffered wearing heavy blankets in the cars, but they still couldn't keep the cold out of the open-air automobiles. By morning, Corey had recovered. Corey ate little on the way. For breakfast, he had two eggs and a little milk. He felt for a time during the night as though he never wanted to eat again. I can't eat. His pace increased significantly by late morning, and he was back an hour ahead of schedule. With a few miles to go, he ran strongly and was seen chatting with his crew as they drove along. With the cheers of his companions and a large crowd of spectators ringing in his ears, Corey made the final sprint as he neared the 1st Regiment Armory. He finished in 18 hours, 33 minutes. Corey's run was one of the greatest long-distance feats ever accomplished in this country. He lowered the fastest known time between the two cities by more than an hour. Corey was happy about the record, but expressed disappointment that he did not run faster. He said he could have run much better if he had not been handicapped by illness and the condition of the roads. I was feeling fresher at the finish than any time during the night and could have gone many miles farther with ease. I intend to try it again and will strive to make it in 16 hours. So your brother's bound and gagged and they chain him to a chair. Won't you please come to Chicago just to sing? Sidney Hatch was born in 1884 in Illinois. In 1904, he ran at the Olympic Games in St. Louis in the marathon but finished 8th in a small field. Hatch developed his endurance as a newspaper man, delivering papers on the run. In 1907, Hatch broke into the news when he won a marathon on dirt roads in St. Louis, Missouri with a time of 2.46. Hatch, Corey, and Thibault, all from Chicago, dominated the marathon's run during that era. A 100-mile race was organized in October 1909 at Riverview Park in Chicago, Illinois, on a circular track. Seven runners were entered, including Hatch, who represented the Illinois Athletic Club. He had his eye on Corey's so-called 100-mile world best of 16 hours 22 minutes. Some elite runners were in the field, including Charles Lobert of Philadelphia, who was the favorite. 
The race was held on July 24, 1909 and started early in the morning at 1.32 a.m. Hatch held back and others took the lead in the early stages. Hatch showed wonderful judgment. He took the first quarter of his run in easy fashion and never even tried for the lead. But by 31 miles, Hatch was in control and in first place. Along the way, Hatch set a world's amateur best 50 mile mark of 6 hours 45 minutes. By mile 67, Hatch had a commanding 8 mile lead and pushed that to a 10 mile lead at mile 84. Two runners had dropped out, one with a sprained ankle and another with stomach issues. Hatch seemed to be running more within himself than any of the others. Hatch won in 16 hours, 7 minutes, running the final mile in a blistering 5.19. When he finished, Lobert was 9 miles behind. While Hatch's 100-mile time was not a world's record, it was a world amateur best. Hatch went on to dominate and win many marathons over the next few years. In October 1916, Hatch announced that he would be going after another one of Corey's records, Milwaukee to Chicago. Corey's recognized record between the cities was 18 hours 33 minutes. Competitors were solicited to make the event into a race, but no others entered. Preparing for the run, he took a 24-hour snooze and a breakfast of soft-boiled eggs and tea. Eggman! Eggman! Anybody home? After a 10-mile walk, he went back to bed and slept until 6 p.m. A cup of tea and several slices of toast were all he ate just before the start. He is in excellent training from running 15 to 20 miles daily. Hatch, age 33, started at 8 p.m. from Milwaukee City Hall with a pacer and covered 7.2 miles during the first hour. To light his path during the night run, a searchlight mounted on an automobile was used. Officials of the AAU rode along to certify the run. His run was reported nationwide in the newspapers. Hatch wore long gray trousers, a jersey, and mittens. Four automobiles convoyed the runner, and for the first miles out, a score of schoolboy athletes ran along with him. 2,000 persons gathered to see Hatch and his partner off. At Kenosha, mile 35, he stopped to change his shoes and have his feet rubbed. In 10 minutes, he resumed his journey, making another stop at mile 50 at Waukegan, and changed his shoes again. With a strong cutting wind in his face, Hatch bent to his task and ran 25 miles more before he pulled up at Highland Park to drink hot lemonade and have his legs rubbed. Hey everybody, look who's back! My leg! You have to listen to me. Your leg is in constant danger. Isn't that so, Patrick? I think I hurt my leg. Hatch then ran all the way to Rush Street Bridge, piloted by motorcycle and mounted police who stopped all traffic. When he reached the river, the bridge was raised and Hatch lost fully two minutes. He stopped only three times, a total of about 20 minutes for rubdowns and refused all food except for orange juice and hot lemonade. I'll take a lemonade. That'll be $2.37. Your sign says a dollar. Yeah, but that doesn't include fees and added taxes. Fees and added taxes? He ran the first 69 miles in 11 hours. Hatch's crew car, a six-passenger Jeffrey, did not break down and proved that it could run at low gear on rough country roads. The company would use that in its advertisements. 
Hatch finished the run and shattered the record, finishing in 14 hours 45 minutes. After a brisk rubdown, he requested a bowl of ice cream. After a short rest, he said he did not feel as weak as he had expected. He had lost 11 pounds on the long run, and his face was drawn and his eyes sunken. His legs were sore, and he had blisters on the bottoms of his feet. He went to bed for a 24-hour sleep. Officials of the AAU declared that Hatch's performance probably was the most remarkable in history. He broke what was thought to be the world 100-mile amateur record of 17 hours 36 minutes set by Jay Saunders in 1882. The professional world record was correctly understood to be held by Charles Rowell of 13 hours 26 minutes. After racing in more than 45 marathons, winning about 20, and racing in more than 100 shorter distance races, Hatch, at the young age of 33, announced that he would be retiring from the sport. The 100-mile record had been his ultimate quest, and he had achieved it. With all his marathon finishes and wins, it was thought that up to that time, no man in history had ever competed in its many grueling races. Hatch was called, quote, the most famous marathon runner in the world, and it was said that he had won more marathons than anyone. Before totally retiring, he announced that he would run in the upcoming Yonkers Marathon and the 1917 Boston Marathon. At Yonkers, he came in second place with three hours flat. Hatch did not retire as announced. In February 1917, he finished fourth with 2.47 at the Pennant Marathon from Bronx to New Rochelle, New York and back. Prior to running the 1917 Boston Marathon, Hatch announced that he was interested in racing 100 miles again in an attempt to break 16 hours. He keeps himself in shape by delivering newspapers around Chicago, running between 10 and 15 miles every day. Hatch is confident that he can run 100 miles on a track in 16 hours. He is a clean living man, has never smoked or drank in his life. The Morningside Athletic Club in Harlem was confident that they could get a race together with at least 10 entrants. Hatch placed second at the Boston Marathon with a time of 2.30 and was referred to as the runner of a hundred marathons. The 100-mile race was scheduled to be held May 25, 1917, but a week before the race, Hatch notified the AEU that he had fallen and injured himself during a training run. Actually, he had broken a rib during a friendly boxing match and couldn't run for several weeks. It was decided to postpone the race until June 16th. The rescheduled race was promoted as a benefit for the Red Cross and was to be held in New York City. Sadly, the race was never held for some reason. In April 1917, the United States broke away from neutrality and joined in World War I by declaring war on Germany. On that fateful day in 1917, some shouting for war, some crying for peace. Inside the White House, President Woodrow Wilson conferred with advisors then signed the proclamation of war against Germany. In June 1917, American combat forces were being shipped off to France. On June 5, 1917, 10 million men got in line as every American between the ages of 21 and 30 registered for the first U.S. draft since the Civil War. 
the focus of the war likely canceled the race. In October 1917, it was announced that Hatch had enlisted in the infantry and was anxious to get over to Europe to fight the war. He turned over his newspaper circulation business to a friend. Hatch should soon star in track for many years to come, and the company that lands his services will no doubt be proud. Hundred-mile runners are scarce, and men like Hatch will play a big part in this great war. He immediately participated in military relay races held in the States. As World War I raged, 100-milers and ultra-running was sidelined for a number of years. Even the 1918 Boston Marathon was canceled, and a military relay race was held instead. What happened to the great ultra-runners from Chicago? Sidney Hatch ran in races during 1918 for the Army, promoting war effort Liberty Loans. Later that year, he went to France. He was first attached to regimental headquarters as a runner, but he asked to be transferred to the front lines on a cannon gun crew. He hauled guns and was the battalion runner taking messages to and from headquarters. The job of a trench runner was arguably one of the most dangerous of the war, as it involved leaving the relative safety of the trenches and traveling across no man's land, often in full visibility of enemy snipers and with little to no cover. During an October 1918 battle near Rieux, France, as Hatch was taking a message, shells began to fall. He dodged into a hole and was buried by a blast. After being helped out, with his leg wounded by shrapnel, he continued to take the message to headquarters. It was a thousand yards down the death path and the ground was popping with shells. It was a real death patch, but Hatch swung down it with the same ease he might start a championship marathon race. He made it and ran back with the message response. Hatch was decorated for extraordinary heroism and was awarded the Purple Heart and Distinguished Service Cross. He returned home to Illinois as a hero in May 1919. After the war, he ran in two more Boston marathons before retiring from competitive running. He became a postman in his hometown of River Forest, Illinois. He married, had three children, and retired from the postal service at the age of 70. Sidney Herbert Hatch died on October 17, 1966, exactly 50 years to the day after he made his famous 100-mile run on October 17, 1916. Wow. He was 83 years old. There was no mention of his running accomplishments in his obituary. Alexander Thiebaud was a machinist by trade and broke the world's amateur indoor marathon record in 1909 with a time of 2.52. But soon he turned professional in May 1909 in order to enter a $10,000 international marathon race that started at White Sox Park. Thiebaud finished the race in last place among eight starters. His running career faded significantly. In 1911, he participated in a six-day relay race, five hours per day, put on by Daniel O'Leary at Tomlinson Hall in Indianapolis, Indiana. At the age of 42, in 1927, he placed second in a marathon with a time of 3.10. Besides having scores of victories to credit as a runner, he has attracted considerable attention as a wrestler, skater, boxer, and walker. 
He is the possessor of a large collection of trophies, including solid gold medals, some of them diamond-studded. He died in 1936. Albert Cory. In 1908, France sought to have Albert Cory represent his homeland in the Olympic Games. He passed on that, wanting to run again for America, but it was too late to add him. Cory was indignant at being left off the team and charges the failure to name him as spite work. He has practically given up hope of taking part in the marathon at London and is now only sorry that he didn't take up the offer of French authorities. Corey didn't run in the Olympics that year. Corey was called Champagne Charlie by his competitors because of his free use of the wine during races as a stimulant. He used it openly during his Chicago Marathon win in 1908. In January 1909, Corey ran a match marathon in Chicago against Italian great Dorando Petri, who had finished the 1908 London Olympic Marathon in first place, but later was disqualified because of the help that he received when he kept collapsing with a few yards to go. The distressed Italian staggered into the stadium in first place, but collapsed so many times that officials, concerned for his well-being, rushed to his rescue and helped him to the line. The help, thought to be necessary at the time, was to cost the luckless Italian the title. Second-placed American John Hayes complained to officials, and his appeal was upheld. Hayes was made Olympic champion. The 1909 match race was a bust when Corey started limping after only two miles because of a sore ankle. Corey gave a miserable account for himself, whether by accident or just because he knew he was up against a better man. Petrie won alone in two hours, 55 minutes. Doctors could find nothing wrong with Corey's ankle. He was branded a coward by the press and his running career was over. He died at the age of 48 in 1926. As World War I concluded, attention would eventually return to the 100-miler. Stay tuned for the continuing 100-miler history. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances. <laughs>